The Business Growth Podcast by legendary entrepreneur Dan Bradbury gives you the best strategies to grow a profitable, sustainable company that isn't dependent on you. Whether it be how to hire and lead a world-class team, business finance, marketing, time management, growth through acquisition, or maximizing your company's value before you exit, this podcast is for you. And now, your host for the Business Growth Podcast, Dan Bradbury. Hey guys, Dan Bradbury here. This week's interview is taken from a live recording of a recent Success Mastermind event in the UK. Alexis Kingsbury runs a software company and has been a private mastermind member for almost four years now. But in that time, his revenue has increased about 400%. And his profit has gone from, well, actually being a loss making, £12,000 loss the year before he joined, to over a quarter of a million pounds in profits. Uh, the critical changes being that he's built an international team in four countries spread over three continents worldwide. And he's also transitioned from a paper use to a much more lucrative and valuable recurring subscription model. There is so much great stuff in this interview. And again, as it was recorded at a live event, the audio isn't always perfect from a quality perspective, but hopefully you'll feel the quality of information will more than make up for it. If you want to get the matching PDF case study download that goes with this episode, you want to go to www.danbradbury.com forward slash podcast. So with that said, enjoy this interview with Alexis Kingsbury. Okay, uh, Alexis, uh, who are you and what is your business? So I am Alexis and I have a, <laughs> a business, I have a couple of businesses, but the one I mainly talk about here is Spider Gap, which is an online uh, software uh, tool. And it's uh, used for 360 degree feedback, which essentially helps businesses to prioritize employee development. So if you've got a staff member in your team and you want to help them identify where am I going to focus my improvement, is it attention to detail, is it communication, they get feedback from the team around them, their direct reports, manager, etc., and it helps to focus on them. So that's what our software does. It's used in over 134 countries and uh, by a range of businesses from very small to massive huge companies uh, that you've heard of. Okay, and you've, you're in, I think, the fourth year in Mastermind. Give us context for where the business was way back then uh, uh, versus uh, where it is in more recent times versus the last two quarters have been spectacular but for different reasons. Yeah, so uh, I was looking at the, uh, the numbers and back in March 2015, which is when I joined Mastermind, uh, revenue was uh, 143k. Uh, profit was 11k. And that's uh, for a year? That's for a year. Okay. Uh, and in terms of cash, because I figured... How old was the business then? Uh, 2015, um, depending on where you draw the line, because uh, we were a 360 feedback tool for two years at that point, but we, were, we kind of existed for about a year and a half before that, but hadn't focused enough on our niche. So you could argue either two years or like basically four. Um, and so we, yeah, so revenue was 143K, profit 11K, uh, and cash, we had three weeks of cash. And that was the most stressful bit. And in fact, I think when I joined the program, we just laid off a uh, salesperson and a developer, and we're considering whether we closed the whole thing, because 11K for a whole year is not, not a great return on both mine and my business partner's time. Okay, good. And then perhaps uh, leaving the last two uh, extraordinary quarters out, what, what, in the more recent times, so perhaps the 
previous 12 months before these last couple of quarters? Well, the, so uh, the, uh, the last, if we take the, the uh, equivalent period, but you know, uh, more recently, um, revenue is uh, nearly three times as much, so it's 405k, uh, but the profit was 22 times as much, so it's 244k. <laughs> so, uh, and in fact, if you include then this quarter, actually we break over a quarter million profit now. And then cash. Yeah, 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 just, we just need to pause there, because <laughs> like the way he skims over it. So, for context, uh, in 2015, revenue was 143, profit was 11,000, and taking into account this quarter, which we're focusing on, where it's he, just another spectacular one, it will take the profit, the rolling profit, as I understood it, for 12 months to be over a quarter of a million. So, I think that deserves a round of applause. <laughs> Uh, and uh, but the, the uh, you know sometimes, uh, sometimes perhaps less so in uh, in the last couple of days, but we often talk about cash in the business and how like yeah you can make a load of profit but still have no cash. And the nice thing is that we now have six months of cash, which includes paying all of our costs and paying ourselves well. Uh, and yeah, for six months just seems like I mean it's a dream like being able to not have to worry about what's happening month to month and whatever and being able to you know, risk a bit and grow and so on compared to where we're at is just uh, yeah, transformative to our lives. So and I know uh, in the report one of the reasons why Alexis owned later with a, with a joint mastermind owners this quarter is uh, this, uh, this quarter has, or the last two quarters, a, a certain magical, mythical number was hit yeah. but for, for different reasons. So. Uh, would you, uh, could you tell us like, what happened in terms of the results, that number in the last two quarters, and, and why, and then really, what allowed that to happen? Yeah, so in previous private masterminds, um, I think our best quarter, I think we've got around 92K, and I remember Dan kind of challenging me, go, you know, I want to see a six-figure quarter now, you know, it's, it's time, I want to see a 100K quarter, and I was kind of like, and then quarter one of this year, we went over that, and, and by, by a bit. Um, but I was kind of like, yeah, but we got this big whale contract. It's a company, they wanted to basically pay for three years' worth, one in advance. I mean, it's completely, you know, uh, one-off. And then this quarter, we broke 100, 100K again, but without a big whale contract. And that is awesome. Because mm -hmm. there, you're not like, oh, well, you know, it's all just because we landed happen to land in this big one that may never come again or may take years um, and that's that's been amazing so so I mean huge huge because again last quarter it was spectacular because of the nature of software the margins are very high so there was this big whale contract which I think was 50 60 70 grand something like that which you know drops to the bottom line so Alexis was saying well it's great and it's not repeatable and yet he's broken a hundred thousand without a big whale so what what's allowed that change to occur? What's, uh, is it just a fluke that you've got loads of little people now uh, 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 giving you money? What, what, what's the difference? What are the fundamental differences between now and two years ago? Yeah, so um, on previous panels, I've talked about that kind of accumulating effect. And definitely that's at work here. Um, but therefore, over the course of the last two years, rather than over a quarter, um, you can identify things like previously, we, our approach with the software product was very much, well, it's an online product. You come along, you use it, you know, it's like, if, you, if any of you use something like SurveyMonkey, you're probably not expecting to have any interaction with the staff there, and we kind of saw ourselves as very similar. 
And you challenged me on why don't we have essentially a sales kind of demo person who would give these demo calls, and I resisted quite a while, uh, and then uh, realised that, uh, to use your quote, that uh, I'm, I'm smart and you were right, so after a while I realised you're right. And, um, <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, hired someone, and that had a big knock-on impact in terms of new sales coming in. But at the same time, we were realising actually, you know, what we could do on the retention, like making sure that customers are getting value out of the tool, not just selling it and going, we'll be done, but actually making sure that they're following up and looking into that. And that's, we're still doing stuff there, but as a result, like I was looking at the figures, uh, e even on last year, where it doesn't feel like we've had a big change in our staffing for new sales, and yet we're up, uh, uh, it was uh, before, it was, we're up 16, 17% on last year, and yet I'm just about to hire more salespeople. It feels like there wasn't a big change, but that's quite, that feels quite big. And then on retention, we're up uh, 25, 25%. And just like these little, these little things just add up. You know, if you're acquiring, even you know, use the simple figures, if you're acquiring 10% more customers than you were before, but actually keeping 20% more than you were before, like it just stacks and stacks and stacks. And so, you know, now, you know, we're, uh, when I'm talking about business plan, we talk about the fact that actually, if you look over our history, we've doubled our revenue every two years, and now it doesn't feel a crazy thing to be looking forward and going, oh well, yeah, so a couple of years time we will be at a million, and a couple of years after, it's a couple of million. And if anything, our challenge now is how do we bring that sooner? So, uh, which is one of the challenges that you give me. <laughs> so, so, last question for for these guys: mm. the the. Um, You've obviously, Alexis, made great, tremendous progress that most people would never make. I mean, for revenue to be up threefold in that time period, I think he said, and, but for profit to be up 22-fold, and for there to be loads more cash in the bank, so he's not just made money, he managed to retain it as well. Um, uh, what advice would you give, if you, could, if you could step back in time and give the you back then advice to accelerate that progress, or because you have made missteps along the way, what... what what would be the shortcuts? What would be the advice that you would give to the younger, uh, less experienced you? Uh, so I think the, the uh, and the point was made uh, brilliantly. Uh, I thought when in Leighton's session when he talks about the data and how actually the data can give you that truth. The, the data can allow you not only to see what the truth is of what's happened, been happening, but also then when you're doing something scary. I mean, Rob, Rob had a great example too, like where it's like okay, I did the growth thing that everyone said be really careful about, but actually I did it in a way that was measured and it was planned and I worked, you know, uh, we could go to the detail. Yeah. Whilst you there, you've done that with the data. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so all those targets and all that measurement, that makes a huge difference and I think sometimes in this room there's a, an element of, oh, well, I'm not a data person or whatever, and therefore it's like, oh God, I don't really have to do that. And I think um, uh, in this room, it's really easy to look at me and Rob and Leighton and Marcus and go, yeah, but they're, you know, they're detailed data guys. And it's like, you rewind it two years, we were not, right? We were not. And I can attest to that. Yeah, uh, right? And uh, you know, I remember bringing my figures into private masterminds with Dan, and they were probably in some of the better shape of the group, and yet still in an awful mess. And actually, the worst thing was not that the that I didn't get the numbers or whatever. It didn't. I didn't have any of the financial discipline.
to make sure it was being updated regularly, to make sure that we had a plan, to make sure the money was being put aside, and all this sort of stuff stacks up hugely. Um, and as a business owner, it's really easy to kind of just go, oh, well, you know, I didn't get into business to be an accountant or you know, do bookkeeping or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but that, that's, where, that's where the success of the business is made, is, is doing that. So I'd say that, that's the, uh, the first, first big thing, really, and most of it rests on that, really. Very good. So, any questions for Alexis? Alexis, Paul, would you say that you didn't have the data um, and study the data about running a business with a blindfold on? Yes. So that makes me. <laughs> so, so, so that uh, that makes me think. If if I was sat in this room and perhaps I am not classing myself as a data person and I don't have data. What questions might I ask myself, or where might I start? Uh, yeah, because I, I I completely agree. I think it is it is running with a blindfold on. I think in terms of where you start is, I think I think um, I've, I've spoken to a few people, particularly uh, new joiners, where they kind of go, oh, but you know my numbers in such such state. How do I even start with this? Mm. And often I think the assumption is that you need to go too advanced too quickly like you immediately go oh well so what i really need to do is set up these as proper corporations and have cross charging and all these kind of systems and so on and actually you know i remember there were masterminders in this group who were going like you know what i'm just gonna start with a spreadsheet you know just literally and i'm good even if it means going from zero whatever accounting system you've got and just typing the numbers in and then okay it's a mess but i can take and you know add and minus just so you start to get a picture so that you can, you know, and start breaking it down so that you can then go, okay, now I know what I actually need from my account and then work backwards. But it is an iterative process. It's, and, and using the blindfold analogy, I think it isn't a case of, oh, brilliant, I've taken off the blindfold and now I can see everything. It's, you know, you're just starting to peek <laughs> and starting to realise. And a good example of that for us is with our KPIs because um, something that we've been... Not late to, we've tried to put it in and it's failed, and we've tried to put it in and it's failed, like this concept of, okay, what KPIs should we should have? And it always goes too detailed too quickly, and then we don't have data to review it. And recently, we started off with a short list, and rather, and, and had a longer list of one of data that we wanted, but we didn't, weren't able to populate, and actually, rather than beating ourselves up for that and spending a load of time trying to address that, we just filled in like the 10 that we did know, and started reviewing that weekly, and then once you kind of got on top of that and it was easy to update that, then we start to go all out of the others, what would we like to add? And just in that process, I think in one month, we went from basically reviewing fewer than 10 KPIs a week to now we review 35 KPIs across the business. And you could say, well, are they key? But, uh, but it's like, it's easy. It's something that, it's five minutes every week that me and my business partner do. So I think it is an iterative process. Final question, I think. Yeah, hiring, hiring in view of growth, because I'm sure this is interesting for me and it'll probably be interesting for a lot of people who are looking for growth. What's your view to hiring and growth? So if you know you want certain growth, you're getting certain growth, what's your approach to hiring? So, I'd say generally we're more conservative than most, and I think partly because we got the pain of having to make people redundant pretty early on and feeling like, oh my god, I never want to go through that again. Um, so, certainly having a load of cash definitely makes me feel more confident about hiring. Um, certainly getting clear on the KPIs and exactly what we're expect, uh, expecting makes me more confident about hiring. I think also we were the approach that we took to hiring. Um, you know, it reminds me of what Dan often gives us the example of, you know, you put an advert out, you get three applicants, uh, you, in, you invite them to 
to interview, one doesn't turn up, one's drunk, and you hide the third one. Um, and you contrast that with one year ago, I was here saying, oh yeah, we've just done development, uh, developer recruitment process, and we've interviewed, uh, we had two and a half thousand applicants and we wheedled them down. And right now we're, we're hiring developer and the, uh, two salespeople, and you know, we've had like, so far 500 applicants for the developer role and we're wheedling them down. It's, I worked out, it's 80, we're 80 times more competitive than Harvard. And like, you know, ultimately, like I loved your point, right? You know, make sure you're getting the right people in, make sure you do a really, really good job of getting the right people into that role, and that makes it so much easier for you to grow. So although you maybe don't need to go to that level of craziness that we do, um, you certainly need to treat it a bit more like you would marketing, where it's, it's not just a, a thing you do, and oh, you know, a mate of a mate has referred. We've had some awful referrals. <laughs> Final, final question, Chair. Yeah, this is rhetorical. Part of the Alexis Appreciation Society, I'd just like to say, you are a really valued member. Yes. He listens to what everybody has to say, and he's very humble when he listens back as well, but it always makes himself available. And, yes. Uh, you know, so please take Quite a popular hero. Really lovely. <laughs> Good. Give a round of applause for Alexis. Hey guys, Dan Bradbury again. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. To get access to the matching PDF case study download that goes with this episode, alongside other resources to grow your business, you want to go to www.danbradbury.com forward slash podcast.